I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, uh, we're going to do two podcasts this week. Maybe we'll start doing that a little bit to see if you guys uh, like that, break up the the interviews. Today, um, I really enjoyed this conversation. We have never done this before. Brian Curtis is an editor-at-large at The Ringer. He is the co-host of the Press Box Podcast with David Shoemaker uh, if you read sports media, you probably are familiar with the name. He's been doing, you know, great work from Grantland to the Daily Beast. He was at Play, which was pretty revolutionary at the time, the New York Times Sports Magazine. And Brian and I um, went about 50 minutes on uh, all sorts of uh, different topics, including um, looking at sort of how news is presented uh, versus sports. And are those two sort of more similar than ever before. We obviously had a long conversation about uh, all the moves in the NFL broadcasting. Troy Aikman obviously heading to ESPN, Joe Buck potentially leaving Fox, Kirk Herbstreit and Amazon, and like what all that means. Uh, that was, you know, probably went 20 minutes on that. That was a lot of fun. Talked about Tony Romo, who Brian has written a lot about and very interestingly talked about where sports radio is in 2022 and where it, uh, might be heading forward, and all sorts of uh, sports media-related topics. Uh, it's the first time Brian and I have ever done a podcast. He, he never came on my uh, Sports Illustrated one. That's that's uh, no reason for that other than I should have uh, should have asked him. But finally, like the famous diner scene in Heat, we have finally met. So Brian Curtis coming up for 50 minutes or so on the sports media. Brian Curtis of the Ring. All right, I'm uh, I'm very excited for my next guest. It's the first time he's been on this podcast, even though uh, you know we have um, you know we've circled each other for years, like like Pacino and De Niro in Heat. Uh, Brian Curtis, not really, by the way. Brian Curtis is an editor at large at The Ringer. He's the co-host of the Press Box podcast with David Shoemaker. His uh, bio: he's worked at Grantland, The Daily Beast, the much beloved and short-lived Play, which is the New York Times sports magazine and Slate, among other jobs. Regarding sports media writing, that's sort of profile-based or stylized, if you want to use a fancy university term. Uh, I think Brian Chris is the best to ever do it. And I say that with zero jealousy. I, I have great admiration for his talent, even if I'm not agreeing with, um, with an opinion of his or a take of his. And pleased to be joined by Brian Curtis, Editor at large at the Ringer. What a title that is! Editor at large. This is that's you. You you belong in the old Time Inc. building, Brian, with those kind of titles. <laughs> it is a Time Inc. title, isn't it? You can see you can hear the drinks cart coming down the hallway. Uh, editor at large, you know, orders up a double. Thinks about the piece he's going to write in like five weeks from now. I love it. Yeah, I I came in. I'm a little past the drinks cart time, but obviously, when I was a very young reporter at Sports Illustrated, I worked with people who were in the office then, and like that, just like in 2022, 20, 
Like, does that not... That, you might as well, like, have aliens talking about, like, their planet. Like, the notion of working... First of all, the notion of working inside of Midtown Manhattan buildings seems crazy to me now. But the idea of working on, like, the 18th or 19th floor of a building, Brian, and it's 5 o'clock on Friday, and there are there are men in, like, uh, tuxedoed kind of suits wheeling a cart <laughs> of alcohol down a you know sort of down a hallway and you could choose whatever kind of alcoholic beverage you want from this cart like and that is a real thing that happened at sports illustrated time magazine people etc it is it, it's bewildering to think about that today it is and for journalists you know this is this <laughs> right. is not like captains of industry right these are for writers for sports writers yeah it blows my mind yeah. All right. So let's. Uh, there's a lot to get to, and obviously, I think a big part of our discussion today will be the you know the reverberations that are happening in um, NFL broadcasting. I, I imagine for both of us, we've um, we certainly have never seen salaries like this, and I'm not sure I've ever seen, at least sort of off the top of my head, this kind of movement at the highest levels of broadcasting. But before we get to that, you know, I'm really interested that you know. What you do on the press box to me is pretty interesting because while there's certainly a sports component to it many times, it's it's really a you know media with a capital M, very broad based show. And for example, recently you had the host of Face the Nation on Margaret Brennan, and I imagine I didn't listen to the episode, but I imagine you probably talked about the coverage in Ukraine, uh, you know, maybe the State of the Union, how presidential politics is covered, and so on this show you obviously. Um, you address the um, how news is covered, in addition to how sports is covered, and I wonder, from your perspective, um, when you start to think about how news is covered in 2022, particularly cable news, I would imagine, and we've talked about this for many years, doesn't it feel like the similarities that, between sports and news are um, are growing even bigger in terms of presentation? I'm not talking about the Ukraine, obviously; it's a sort of a, a, a different element, but Man, when I turn CNN, MSNBC, or Fox on, many times it feels very indistinguishable to me with a uh, a sports opinion show. I totally agree. And it was this thing for a while in Washington to write that TV news or cable news had been corrupted because it was a lot like sports television. And I always push back a little on that because I was like, you know, Crossfire has been around since like 1982. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure that sport, I don't want to defend daytime sports television as a genre, but I think you guys kind of started this and, you know, it's one of those things we could probably have a good discussion about, which is the one that makes you cringe the most, but there definitely is. And there was definitely this movement to say that all news, at least during certain hours of the day, it's more prime time. It's kind of the reverse, right? Prime time on cable news, daytime on sports television has to be personality driven. That what we think viewers want, whether this is what they want or not, but what we think they want is news, argument, opinion as told by a person rather than dispassionately told by an anchor or sports center anchor. And it happened at the same time, and there's sort of no going back from it, right? That's where we are. One of the, uh, you know, one of the things that has been pretty interesting since I moved up to Toronto and I've been here four years basically is, and I, you imagine you don't get this in Los Angeles, but you know, the CBC is one of the national broadcasters of Canada. And one of the thing, one of the things that was pretty head spinning to me was they do a lot of policy 
on the CBC, Brian. One, they do a lot of long-form features. So for a news report, as opposed to like, you know, the traditional 6.30 news, which might be 120 seconds or, you know, 180 seconds if you can get that much, um, the National will go do a story and, and they'll spend six to seven minutes on it. Obviously, commercial implications are different here. But the thing that really was surprising to me is there's so much more policy discussion and what I would consider sort of the educating of the populace versus straight up almost embrace debate or conflict television, which by the way is not just a Fox thing, but is an MSNBC thing and a and a CNN thing. And um, when you were coming on, like I, one of the things I sort of wanted to delve into was I'm kind of a cynic here and I don't know if the American public would even want that. I know they get it on PBS a little bit, but it feels like we're past the Rubicon and like that kind of, at least television might not even work where it certainly works in Canada. Maybe that's 37 million versus 337 million. But um, I wonder your perspective on that. If like, is the American public even interested in like, like news programs that would have policy discussions as opposed to, you know, Democrat X, Republican X, and sort of here's the issue to debate for the day. Yeah. If we're talking about just a different tone, I've heard a lot over the last week and change during the invasion of Ukraine that like, ha, this is what we want from CNN, right? They've been doing a great job covering it. This is what it should be. It should not be personality driven coverage. It should be going to correspondence in the field. It should be more dedicated to real news. That's, that's what, in fact, I, I think one of the, one of the honchos over there said, this is, this is what I see post Jeff Zucker, CNN like this. I am not convinced that people want that or will want that in like a month, you know, yeah, or two right. months when nothing's happening, because that's when we see, that's when we see the sports shows. And that's when we see the news networks doing that thing where we have the red countdown clock on, <laughs> where we're trying to twist the dial and keep your attention and keep you engaged. Even when there aren't momentous events in the world going on or in the sports world. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not convinced that people want that or want it in the kind of numbers that these networks need to make money. Yeah. Which is the thing. I mean, the reality is like, you know, Roger Ailes as horrific as a human being, as I think he was, was not a dumb man. And like, there is an audience for, for the culture war and quite frankly, a big audience for that. So I agree. Like, again, we get CNN up here. And so I have been impressed by um, what they've done, but like Brian, just like, I mean, I hate to sort of like put it in this kind of minimalist terms, but like, like wars, CNN should be great at covering a war, given just how big an outlet they they are, what their um, you know what their history is in terms of covering conflict, and just that they're a global news organization. So, like I understand that, but like I I, I mean I wonder if you agree. Like I would expect that. Like if they can't cover this well, like why 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 do they exist then? Is I I guess I would sort of posit. Yeah, and the game plan for this week or last week is not going to necessarily be the game plan for April and May. Exactly. And I think the, I think the latter game plan in a way, I agree with you. It's more telling to me about what they really are. All right. We've already agreed too much in this. So, podcast. I'm, 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 I'm annoyed. <laughs> right. I mean, if you come around the corner, Brian, brother, you are going down. That was a really terrible Pacino imitation. All right, so let's uh, let's segue to sports. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I think you probably don't deal with ESPN PR as much as I do. And by the way, God bless you for that. Um, but like, I remember um, 
I remember not too long ago, and this is the absolute truth, that ESPN was loath to publicize First Take. They, they, you know, I'm talking about like in the days when like it was like a controversy every week, you know, Rob Parker calling Robert Griffin a cornball brother. I mean, literally, you remember this, probably like literally it was like a controversy a day and they were not pushing first take, you know, as something that they were particularly proud of. It is amazing today, by the way, in 2022, whether it's promoting Chris Russo's appearance whether it's promoting, you know, first take um, jumping from whatever, you know, 400,000 viewers to 475,000 viewers. It is amazing to me in the length of time that I've covered this stuff that that has become, that has gone from a, you know, a popular within its own framework albatross to, to ESPN celebrating this as one of its signature shows. And when you were coming on today, I just wanted to ask you, one, if you have sort of noticed that, and two, what does that say? Because it's something that really, I just, I don't know, I find more, maybe I shouldn't, I particularly just find it more amusing than anything else. I wrote about this a couple years ago, and I think the piece was called Strange New Respect for Stephen A. Smith. And it wasn't just about what was happening inside ESPN, which is absolutely true. It's about the way that show was being perceived outside ESPN. You know, go back 10, 15 years and people were watching that kind of programming generally and saying, this is this is not what we want. Right. This is not this is not it. And now we've gotten to this thing. I remember when the Cowboys lost in the playoffs to 49ers this year and I'm looking at sports Twitter. Lots of people I like, lots of people I respect that are saying, I can't wait to see Stephen A face off with Michael Irvin tomorrow. What? Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, we've, we've come all the way around on that to now we're now we're looking forward to that confrontation. And I think it's really I think it, there's like a whole bunch of sub levels of this inside ESPN. I think it's the fact that Stephen A became the MVP of ESPN at some point. Yeah, but mo- the most important, the singular, most important front facing personality they have by a mm-hmm. lot. So that's part of it. I think the other part of it is. He's just been around for a long time. People who tend to last for a long time tend to earn a kind of respect by being around, by being successful Mm. at what they do, as he certainly has been. There also, I think, when we first started getting into the whole embrace debate thing, it seemed like every moment of the ESPN schedule was going to be a debate show. (laughs) That was the thing. Oh, my gosh. We are going to have 19,000 of these shows. It turns out we really didn't at the end of the day. In fact, there's probably less now, would you agree, than there were five, six years ago? Less hours of debate yeah, I would agree. Uh, on ESPN. Yeah. And so in a way, I think what he proved, at least in terms of numbers, however you want to say it, is that he was a lot better at it than everybody else was. And he got a certain amount of respect that way. But I, I'm, I am still amazed because Stephen A is, to me, when I watch that show, he is exactly what he was five, 10 years ago. It is our perception of that and the way we look forward to it, if I can use the we here, that has changed completely. That's a great point. I think you've nailed something. You know, when next time you talk to Shoemaker, ask him if he sees, as weird as this might sound, any parallels between Stephen A. Smith and Roman Reigns (laughs) in that Roman Reigns stuck around long enough where the crowd eventually sort of won the crowd over that he didn't necessarily have over. It's not a perfect parallel, but I do think even, and I'm not someone who particularly loves, like, I'm not, like, I don't watch First Take at all on any kind of regular basis, but I could understand people who, um, in some manner, like, respect the fact that, like, 
the he you know he's put the grind in for as many years as it is. I think with him it's not a it's not kayfabe. Like you know this is like it's performance for sure. Like performance over the top. But you know he's he's doing the work at le- if that's even the right phrase. He's doing the work of what someone on that show um, would be. The other thing too is and like the reality is like the viewership numbers that that gets Brian for them in that slot, like is important. Like the, you know, cord cutting ESPN's viewership numbers have just gone down as a general rule over the last 15 years. So that shows prominence has become more important for them just because it's more of a profit yeah, center. For them. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more about this, but it's when I try to figure out like, what does Jimmy Pataro want from ESPN? There's a lot of interesting answers yeah. to that, but I think he wants stars is probably the most basic answer to that question. And he loves stars, and Stephen A's a big star in that world. Brian, you're like it's like you're a podcast host because a beautiful segue here. As we talk about stars, let's talk about Troy Aikman. You are you're a proud Texan. I think you're a graduate of the University of Texas. Am I correct about that? Yeah, Austin is a great town, and that is a great university. And so, um, you know, Troy Aikman has not formally signed with ESPN, but but you know, however, an agreement in principle, a verbal agreement, however you, you want to put it within the agent world, you know, he is, he will eventually be announced as the new uh, analyst on Monday Night Football. That, of course, sets up uh, or has set up significant reverberations in terms of what his partner, Joe Buck, will ultimately decide to do. He's talking with Fox this week, in fact, and they'll, um, those, those, uh, those two sides will, come to some kind of decision in terms of will Joe continue long-term or um, will Joe probably in more of the near-term part Fox because you're not going to let Joe Buck um, stick around, I think, for a year calling games if he ultimately wants to leave. Um, Al Michaels, of course, still sits out there as his contract expired from Sunday Night Football and NBC. The Amazon job is out there. Potentially the Fox job could be out there if Joe Buck leaves. Um Clearly, Steve Levy is going to be replaced uh, uh, for a partner with Aikman. Uh, Peter King reported today, as we're taping this, Brian, that Kirk Herbstreit will be the analyst for Amazon. So, you know, I mean, we could probably do an hour podcast on each of these individual moves. But writ large, you've never seen anything like this, right? In terms of like the level of broadcaster um, and, you know, however you want to, in terms of name recognition, Q rating, salary, the level of broadcaster movement, we've never seen anything like this, certainly not in the NFL. And I think it's an interesting question to ask, like, why is this happening <laughs> right now? Why are we why are we getting this kind of content on our beat? And I think the two most obvious answers are one is you just brought another player to the table, which is Amazon. And this is exactly what happened in 1993 when Fox got the NFL rights. You just brought another, you had somebody else come along and go, hey, we, we want to pay a lot more for the NFL and prices go up. In that case, prices for the NFL package went up. In this case, prices for the announcers went up. But I don't think we should underrate the part of this that's driven by the desperation of ESPN to fix their Monday night situation. They have tried so many internal options. They tried to give a lot of money to Tony Romo a couple of years ago. They tried to give a lot of money to Peyton Manning before they did the Manning cast with him. And now they are matching or breaking the all-time record to get somebody from another network. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's, that's what's happening here. You know, they decided at some point, we haven't been able to figure this out internally. So let's go pay $18 million plus for Troy Aikman. 
And I think that's also obviously what's driving the Joe Buck part of the situation. And maybe Al, if it comes to that, it's a network saying, we don't know how to fix this internally. So we are going to go pay at the top of the market or above the top of the market for somebody else's person. And that to me set all this in motion along with the Amazon stuff. So, all right. So there's a couple of ways to go on this. You know, part of it, sort of stick with, all right, let's stick with the salary part first. I, I do want to get to Buck because I actually think Buck, Buck's a more interesting case because I think, I don't think it's purely about money. And I think it pure, it, some of that's about relationship, but let's take the salary part first. What's interesting here, you know, I've always, uh, um, I'm on a Twitter break. Who knows how long it'll be? It's been pretty refreshing. You know, I've always sort of said on Twitter uh, that you are you are worth what ESPN will pay you. It's the same that you are worth what Fox Sports will pay you. And so in that sense, good for Troy Aikman to get $18.5 million from ESPN. But the reality of this, Brian, is pretty interesting. John Skipper, I think last week, appeared on um, a podcast with Dan Lebertard and David Sampson and basically said like that there is no manner in which I could give you a PL or a return in return on investment an ROI where <laughs> an announcer paying that much money is like I could get the return on that much money. So a lot of it is um you know some of it is ego based. Uh Skipper said, you know, a lot of it is we want to put on the best possible game we can to um enhance our broadcast. He didn't mention this, but I will. Certainly some of it is the league wants Brian a certain uh, they want a certain type of broadcaster, or in many ways, they want uh, broadcasters that are well known to the public and and that the league can sort of brand itself. The reality is, like the league has to sign off on all these broadcasters. I'm not saying the ESPN and Fox don't make the hire, but they're not making a hire unless the league wants it. You can go see Stan, look up Stan Van Gundy for ESPN in the NBA back in the David Stern days. Um, so it's just fascinating to me, Brian, in that like. The reality is what Aikman makes, what Buck makes, what Michaels make, they're all going to break the bank here. But Jimmy Pitaro in particular, this is what I find interesting. He's really blown up his salary structure with this move. And if you're an agent for WME or CAA or whatever, and you have obviously, let's say not a Troy Aikman client, but some other client, can you not then go into management and when management tells your client to take a 50% pay cut, can't you say, are, what are, you, are you kidding me, guys? You just you just paid Troy Aikman $18.5 million. I'm just fascinated by what this means, if it means anything for other talents. Yeah, I mean, I would have already made that call, don't you think? I mean, why wait, why yeah. wait for the contract to come up? Why don't you say, well, what, what are we going to do right now <laughs> since you just created a giant disparity by making him the highest paid person of the company? But, By six million. <laughs> but I think, and again, this is my read from Bataro, and tell me if you disagree. I think he would rather have a handful of really highly priced stars than I the agree. old skipper yeah. model where you have lots of people in that kind of middle tier salary range. Although Skipper did Skipper anointed who he thought would be stars in the uh how do I say it? Like the opinion space, right? right. Now it's nowhere near the Aikman money, but he did pay for you know, he paid for people he wanted, like, you know, whether that was Jamel Hill or or someone else. But yeah, I do agree with you. Like, I um, I guess the question would be, you know, who does Pitaro think outside of the obvious who's a star? Like, it's easy. Troy Aikman's obviously a star. He's been a phenomenal analyst for Fox. He's a number one guy. But you know what I mean? Like, is Scott Van Pelt in that conversation? Is uh, 
Jeff Passan in that car? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what's the what's? Whoa, the, I would love to Schefter. know the Patar. Where's the Pataro star line end? Schefter, Wojnarowski, whose contracts are coming up? Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good one, but this is the biggest one, right? Because it's his NFL thing, and this completes. I mean, this is yeah. This is also we should probably say this. This is the end of ESPN's multi-year effort to make things right with the NFL. <laughs> Correct. They've exactly. done everything. They put the combine on ABC. Right? They shuffled the booth around. They programmed against their own announcers with Peyton Manning and Eli Manning last year. So now this is right. the final thing. We're going to go get two guys, potentially. Well, they're going to have to get two guys. They're going to get two guys for giant money from other networks or from one other network. And that will be the end of the whole effort, which, by the way, I love that Burke Magnus, Magnus excuse me, called it a reset, just like Obama and the Russians, right? A reset with the NFL. This is the end of the reset. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a reset that was overblown. By the way, that's 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 what the ESPN. Yeah, the relation, the the animus was always overblown. Well, maybe the animus was overblown, guys. But like, I looked at your schedule for Monday Night Football from 2012 to 2018. It yeah. wasn't overblown. You guys were getting screwed for paying the most. It's really interesting. All right, so then here's the here's the flip side of that coin here. If you're Fox and Eric Shanks, and if Joe Buck does go to ESPN. You know, you could really make, I think, a financial decision here. And I, I, you know, I I don't, I I could give you my, obviously my, you know, informed analysis of what I think will happen, but obviously only Eric Shanks and Joe Buck and uh, Brad Zager, uh, executive producers and and Joe Buck's agent, obviously the the ones who probably really know or or will know first. Um, You could have a booth, Brian, of Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, which I think will be a competent booth for sure. Maybe competence not even a fair word. It should be sort of a higher adjective than that. And that booth will cost you, uh, let's say conservatively, 25, 20 to $25 million less per year. I'm just conservative sure. ballpark here annually than the Something Buck like Aikman that. booth. Could you not, if you're Eric Shanks, then go to Lachlan Murdoch and say, okay, these guys are not as famous as Buck and Aikman, but they're going to do a great job and I just saved you $25 million. Where's my bonus? <laughs> and I think I, I I believe that that's exactly what he would do. And I think also Fox, there's something about Fox and the NFL that they think they're really good at this, right? They think they're good yeah. at finding Agreed. people who were not stars, who are often really, really young and turning them and developing them into the announcers they want them to become. That's what they did with Joe Buck way back in 1994. And look what that happened. Look what happened with that. That's what they did with Joel Klatt. That's what they did with Burkhart. That's what they did with Olsen when another network went with Drew Brees this year. So to me, there is Fox Love Stars too. No, no question about that. They've had Troy Aikman calling games, Terry Bradshaw, all those guys. But they also have this real sense that their production team is really, really good and can figure it out with these guys. So I absolutely think that's on the board for them. It, let me ask you, if, if Buck decides to say at Fox... And so this means the Amazon and ESPN job is open. Let's let's forget about Al for a second, because like unless Al waits too long, he's he's going to be fine. And there's I know I mean I speak for myself. Al Michaels is the greatest play-by-play NFL broadcaster of all time, and 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 at 77 years old seems to be as great as he was you know 20 years ago. So I'll sort of just say that for the record. But it's an interesting question, Brian. For me is. You mentioned that um, the reset, as you use the Obama term, the reset for the NFL and ESPN was really, really important. And I think 
in addition to what you said, part of the end result of this is the Super Bowl. They finally have landed their white whale and they're in the rotation. If you are Pataro and Burke Magnus, whoever makes this decision, do you how do you sort of weigh landing Al Michaels but signing him for you know for five years as opposed to just doing it on a year by year basis? where he would call your biggest event you've ever had in your company's history at 82. If the Super Bowl was held today, Brian, like I don't even think it would be an issue. I think Pataro would break the bank for Al Michaels. But that's what's interesting to me is, you know, if you're ESPN and you're thinking about Al, are you looking short-term? Are you looking medium-term, long-term? And then if you're Fox, conversely, what would be the value of bringing Al in for, let's say, a two- or three-year deal? He calls two Super Bowls, and then you hand it over to Greg Olson and, and Kevin Burkhardt heading forward. Yeah, it's an interesting idea for Fox because they've got two of the next three. So you really could realize the value of Al right away. God, that'd be such a bizarre split it screen or just crazy. a mind-bending thing to see Al Michaels calling a game of any kind on Fox, by the way. Um, the Al ESPN is really interesting. I don't, I, I'd love to get a sense of what Al's time frame for Al is. Is he thinking I'm going to be think calling he's waiting. Football, in, football in my informed and, In my informed opinion... One, I think he was clearly waiting for Amazon to land an analyst. He, he clearly wanted Collinsworth first, and then I think he obviously would have been overjoyed with Aikman. Let's take Peter King and his word that it's Kirk Herbstreet. I don't honestly know what Al's relationship is with Kirk Herbstreet or, or how he'd feel about that. He's a pretty big-name analyst, even for a college guy. So that's yeah. sort of part one. And then part two, obviously, Al can't really do anything with creating a market between Fox and, um, and ESPN and Amazon without knowing what Joe's going to do. So that's sort of the... The other side of the equation. I do think at a certain point, though, um, Al probably had in the back of his head he was going to Amazon. Like, I think that was going to be his exit plan if if he didn't stick with NBC. And now, you know, this, um, I think now he's sort of, I guess he's waiting a little bit to see how the Joe thing shakes out. Because, you know, the, the Fox, the idea of calling two Super Bowls for Fox, even if he doesn't know anybody at Fox, I think has to be appealing. And like you said... You know, Fox has a really good production team. You know, Richie Zions, Rich Russo, those are the that's the producer and director of yep. of um, that group. They've you know you've written about them. They've they've done in the NFL forever. Like they're these are pros doing that broadcast. And so even if Al's not with his longtime guy Fred Gadelli, you know it's not like he's walking in and getting a twenty five year old person right out of college. You know, like <laughs> the ship should still be pretty good. So I think he's in a good spot as long as he doesn't overplay his hand. But like you, I don't know. It just I mean, obviously, I'd watch it. The game is the game, but it would be weird to see Al Michaels calling Fox games. Absolutely. I'm with you. Yeah, and when it's I, so odd. And in time, terms of timeline, I guess I just mean like timeline for Al's career beyond this year. Like, yeah, Al see himself calling two or three more years of football. I think he does. And then going to hang out in Brentwood, or does he see himself covering calling five <laughs> years of football? It's a great which question. Is the, which is what it would take to get to that ESPN Super Bowl. And I don't have a good sense of that. And I don't. And I don't know if he has a sense of that. Yeah, I'll leave you with one thing, and then we can get to a couple other things. There, I have heard the possibility of Al goes to Amazon. He doesn't necessarily work a full full season of games. They also bring in another well known play by play person, um, like an Iron Eagle type, let's say, okay. to um, to do you know uh, a quarter to a little more than a quarter of the schedule. And then if you're Al, you know maybe you could do five years of. Uh, you're doing, let's say, um, you're doing 45 games as opposed to 
uh, you want to do 17 times five. You know what I mean? It's it's supposed to 85. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not making that travel from Brentwood to uh, <laughs> to the, to to uh, to New Jersey in January kind of thing. And if that's the case and his health is okay, I think he could do it. I mean, Vince Scully, Hubie Brown, right? I mean, Vital. We've seen people go into their 80s with a semi full schedule. Yeah, I don't and I don't bet against Dell, but that would be an interesting thing if you had just a bunch of buys worked in there. So you're essentially the yeah. voice of Thursday night on Amazon, but you're not doing all the games. Yeah, I could buy it. I could totally buy it. Yeah, the last one to me is, and I don't know, you know, again, I've, I, I'm not, I've, full disclosure, I've, I've, I've interacted with Alan email a couple of times in the last month, but, you know, he's, he's given up less than, you know, the State <laughs> Department's given up uh, at the moment. So it's, it's not an easy get. What I don't know, and I wish I did know, is to me, if you're Al Michaels at 77 years old having the career you had, Brian, like, I wouldn't ego wouldn't matter to me at all. Like I've done it all, and I'd be like Jeff Bezos. Like I'd like thirty million dollars a year because I want to set my great grandchildren up. Like it doesn't matter to me what the schedule is. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm happy to do your games. I'm happy to be part of your marketing, and I'll be a brand ambassador. But I don't know if Al's ego is such where you know NBC is not bringing him back. Do you think Brian part of his ego is like? These motherfuckers didn't bring me back. I'm going to do the Super Bowl on Fox and show them that I'm as good as anybody else. Like, I just, I don't know how he's thinking, but that yeah. if I knew how he was thinking, then I feel like I'd have a better sense of what he might want to do. I know how broadcasters think, and so do you. And they do not, they believe in going out and showing people who doubt them, just like I guess all of us do. The doubters, right? right? I, love, right. I love that whole concept. But <laughs> exactly. They, they take things like that very, very personally. So without knowing exactly how Al's responding to that, I would think that in any broadcaster's mind, that would be somewhere near the top. Absolutely. I want to. I just want Al to come out and say everybody doubted me. Nobody thought I was good, and I'd be like, "No, Al, everybody thinks you're the best of all time." Like yeah, that's no, factually no, not no, true. We, we really do. You're the best. Yeah. I'm like really, Al. Like did, there's no one against you. Like literally, every single list has said you're number one. No, no, no. They're doubting me. Okay, all right. Al. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I want to get to uh, one quick topic here because we don't have to go so long on this because the topic itself would be long. But um, you know, you're at a place in the Ringer which has done an amazing job in terms of creating a podcast network, monetizing podcasts. You know, we saw the sales of Spotify. Um, you, you like me, Brian, are grew up on sports radio, so you're a connoisseur of this, and I imagine you still listen uh, to terrestrial radio as I do. Yep. And one of the things I've seen, this is no genius take, is that. So much of terrestrial radio now can be found on podcasts, and oftentimes more of the audience is going to listen to the the conventional radio show. You know, a couple hours after they do it live. What I'm curious from your end is this: no doubt that on demand audio is the future and the present, and like that's only going to get bigger as we head forward, particularly sports gambling uh, advertising. But do you think there's still a place five, ten years from now for like terrestrial radio to still exist live? Um, do you know what I mean? Where like there still is in a major city, like a three to seven o'clock live show, even though it's very possible that live show will have more listens, you know, overall listens, let's say between like eight o'clock and midnight when people get home from work. Yes, uh, I think so. And part of it's driven by the fact that sports radio is in a much stronger position right now than I think I would have predicted 10 years ago. You know, I'm struck every year and was just a couple of weeks here at the Super Bowl. Just how much, how big sports radio still is, even when you have the podcast sort of, you know, sort of competing with it and taking a lot of its audience in certain ways. 
So yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm with you. So I listen to my Dallas station. That's the way I do it in this world now. And I listen on the app and I'm often an hour behind and fast forwarding through all the commercials, which I'm sure makes them really, really happy. <laughs> right. Um, and often listening to the segments I want to at night when I'm washing the dishes and stuff like that, because it helps it go a lot faster. But yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I love live radio. I, f- I think it's actually a very different experience. And I, it's funny. I was asking Chris Russo this at the Super Bowl this year. And I was like, you've done podcast. Is there something about speaking into a live microphone that is different to you than podcasting? And he was like, oh, you got to watch your language. And I was, I was like, no, 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 not that. I just mean like a sensation uh, that's different because I know as a listener, there's a different sensation. Versus something that has been recorded, potentially edited, or just feels different because it was it was made at a different time. And that that is part of what I like about radio. Maybe you and I are just old and nobody else cares about this. But I do like the idea of one or two people talking into a live microphone and me hearing it as soon as they say it. Same. I, I do wonder if the line of demarcation is like 30 or 35, where like if you're older than that, you think... I think as we do, if you're younger, you don't, but I'm with you. I, to me, even that, especially having done radio, there's even like a danger element. I like to it. Like you just don't know what is going to be said in real time. And that's interesting to me. Uh, that's interesting to even listen to people have to think on their feet. Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that because I would like to believe that even as the industry gets smaller and consolidation happens, I, I don't know. It just strikes me in a city like Boston, New York. Obviously, I'm an East Coast person, Philly. I can't not see there being live talk sports radio. It just doesn't – it seems inconceivable to me even in a 2022 universe. I think that's where it's going to be as local, you know, mainly. I yeah, mean, agreed. We'll still have this national stuff, but I listen to a lot of national sports radio. I got serious in the car, and I'll just turn it on. And a lot of it to me is people trying to figure out what, <laughs> what people want to listen to. You know, there's a lot of LeBron. There's a lot of Brady. There's a lot of Cowboys. Yep. Stop me if any of this sounds familiar. But there's a lot of, and again, some really talented national people who do it. But I hear a lot of people, even on the big network, sort of casting around for what should I talk about today? That's not a question with local, right? Cowboys this week, they're in Dallas this week, they're talking about Amari Cooper. They know exactly what they need to talk about. And that's where sports radio makes the most sense to me. Yeah. I mean, again, and th- th- there are some very talented national hosts, but ultimately they have to play the hits to just try to get as broad as as possible. And like you, I many times, even if I, I love local radio, like I, I'm someone who would just listen to like Milwaukee radio just to hear like what the local people are talking about, even if I have no affinity, like, you know, for the Bucks or the Brewers, et cetera. All right. A couple more here. You, you wrote a really interesting piece on um, Tony Romo not too long ago where you sort of examined – um, in short, like what Romo is now and, and what he, he, you know, what, what kind of broadcaster he ultimately will be heading forward. Um, you know, I'm probably, you know, among at least the people who write about this stuff, you know, kind of, kind of the uh, head of the marching band for, for Romo. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm all in and, and I accept that uh, designation. I think one of the things, Brian, and you're certainly, I, you know, you can speak to your piece far more eloquently than I can. One of the things I do think Romo, has that maybe nobody else in the field has is in many ways he's competing against his own mythology from year one and two. And I think, like you said, 
um, almost a reverse Stephen A here. You know how sort of Stephen A has stuck around long enough where uh, people might even be grudgingly giving him sort of respect? I do think that because of all the praise and press that Romo received, I think at a certain point there had to be a backlash because it was almost inconceivable for a sports broadcaster at his, his level to draw the near universal praise he was getting. It just it never essentially happened before, particularly in the NFL. Um so I wonder just how you see him. To me, I still think he's an excellent broadcaster, and I do think in many ways um, he can't win the battle against his early self because you, know, you can make the argument his first two years, maybe no one's ever had that those kind of first two years. Yeah, he's here's the thing I think about Tony Romo. I think there's certain games where he's absolutely the guy I want to hear, like the Chiefs-Bills game in the playoffs this year. And the reason I want to hear him is because that enthusiasm he brings and that almost giddiness he has about football played on that level really works with the game. Like, I think it's really, really effective for him in the middle of that game to be say something like, this is amazing, <laughs> right? What we're watching here is awesome, and you should appreciate how awesome it is. And I think a lot of other guys, including a lot of number one guys, wouldn't say it in that way because they just don't see that as being part of their job. And I find that really, really works with him where I think he has less good games are when the football doesn't match his hopes for what the football is going to be. In fact, like one, one week later, right. Chiefs play the Bengals in the AFC championship game. That game wasn't nearly on the level of the week before. It was kind of a ragged game at times. Chiefs got out to a big lead. Then the Bengals come back. And I, he just feels to me in those kind of games, a little bit, muted sometimes a little lost and i think i think the thing about tony is i think his he is so interested in offense particularly in quarterbacks and when quarterbacks like pat mahomes or patrick mahomes are out there putting on a show he's in heaven when the story of the game is like aaron donald or line play or a defensive line just wrecking the quarterback's day i just don't think he's i he doesn't strike me as being that interested in that stuff so that's where my criticism comes in. I actually, I absolutely think Tony Romo is the number one guy. I won't we'll say, I mean, this is not like an argument like Tony Romo is the worst or something like that. But there's a very particular kind of football to me that he excels at. And there's a kind of football game where he's just good rather than great. Yeah, you gave me something to think about in that piece. And again, I, maybe my ears, you know, I think we all sort of listen and hear differently. I, I still find him an interesting listen, even if the game is sort of not up to um, the excitement level. But I, I think, you know, again, I think you gave me something interesting to think about. One of the things that I always wonder, and I think this is just inevitable, do you do you see a change in broadcasters once they stop, once the people who are on the field are no longer their contemporaries? And then it seems like to me, you know, this happened to Aikman and Collinsworth, obviously, a long time ago. But and I'm not saying that Romo is at this place yet. But, you know, there is something, Brian, to the idea that, like, if you have gone against a coach or if you have gone against a defensive lineman or a cornerback or if you have um, been on the field with a running back or wide receiver, like literally as a player, like you just have a different feel for those players. And it must be different as an analyst when you're eight, nine, ten years out and the guys you played with are now retired. Yes. And I think I think you can really tell who in this business works their asses off. Like, you ever watch a Chris Collins? Yeah. That's where I think Aikman works he his ass off. He definitely personally. does. And do you ever watch a Chris Collinsworth game and think he doesn't know what he's talking about? No. He absolutely works his ass off. Kirk Herbstreet, 
on Saturday night and soon to be Thursday night, apparently. Absolutely. That dude, you can yeah. just tell, right? It's a, you can't fake preparation. I mean, it's the one thing really in the broadcasting. But I think it's an interesting do. question for Tony in a couple of years. Is, is he going to be working his ass off? He's going to have that. That's where I agree with. You. He's going to have to or or then yeah. it will be. Different. And as a quarterback, I'm not going to go in for some cheap, cheap shot at him. But he was not. Let's just say he was not Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. He just didn't have that. You know, every, 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 you know, strawberry I eat for lunch is about making me a better quarterback. He just wasn't that guy. Will he be like that as a broadcast? He absolutely could be. All he has to do is do it. But I'm sort of interested in the answer to that question. All right. I want to, uh, to we'll do uh, two more topics and then, um, and then I'll let you go. First one is, um, I have to be honest, I am blown away by the ascendancy of Pat McAfee. And he, he has, um, one, he's done it on his own and sort of his own terms, which is really impressive. And two, he's just captured a large swath of, I'm sure it's, you know, 95% men between a certain age, let's say, you know, 25 to 35 or 20 to 35. But, you know, he's doing this um, on his own YouTube channel. He's um, he's done some traditional sports stuff, including with ESPN. And he obviously has his... Um, job with uh, the WWE which you know is sort of blown up and he's a really good uh he's a really good broadcaster a great heel broadcaster in fact um had uh Brian had both of us sort of 15 years ago like been talking about the punter on the Colts like this guy's going to be a major uh sports media figure who've been in, like are you insane like yeah maybe the guy gets the maybe he's Jay Feely you know he's he's on the 6th team on CBS cuz he's got a great personality but I'm really impressed by it the guy has seemed to sort of uh, follow his own drummer and in this new sort of age economy he like Levitard too he's one of the big winners of this so the Super Bowl radio row the major ego measuring contest is how big a <laughs> yes, set is. your your media company builds for you if you're a sports radio host Florio's got his set Jim Rome's got his set you know Dan Patrick I think is offsite but he's got his set right you want a big set well this year you walked into Radio Row here in Los Angeles, and Pat McAfee's FanDuel thing was like right at the entrance. And McAfee was sitting up there, and of course, he's not wearing sleeves. He's standing up. A.J. Hawk was sitting there, not smoking a cigar, because I think you can't do that indoors in Los Angeles, but sitting next to him. And it was almost this like announcement of, oh, I'm here now, and I'm as big or bigger than any of these other people. It was really, really, I mean, just as like, pure theater and symbolism. And I don't know if it was intended that way. It just happened. That's where their set was. It was wild. And of course, being Pat McAfee, you could hear him across Radio Row, no matter where you were. Um, I'm amazed at how big it is. I think the Aaron Rodgers thing that he has done over the last two years, if anything, just, just purely as getting a quarterback who's at the top of his game to come to the table and talk for that much time every week, every Tuesday, and forget for a second all the stuff about vaccines and all the stuff that was said, just getting a download like that of a player who is playing is is absolutely insane. Yeah, and the, the reality is, like, um, and I'm not excusing him, but, like, McAfee does not have to have any kind of defense on well, I'm you know I'm a journalist and I should be asking Aaron Rodgers these questions. Like, do I wish like he would challenge some of the things Aaron Rodgers said? Yeah, of course I do. But like, the re- if I'm going to live in the real world, like I can't expect Pat McAfee to do that. 
That's not what his show is. He's never intended that. And yeah, the reality is Aaron Rodgers is not going on face the nation. Like that's just, you know what I mean? He's, that's just like not going to happen. So I think you, yeah, I would love to see that too. You just have to live with, with that, but I'm with you. Um, and the Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl staging thing, the radio road thing is great. Boy, Frances is going to be mad to hear that McAfee's got a uh, he's a new you know, uh, such a big yeah. Uh, such, I don't also <laughs> such a yeah. Big, it's 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 pretty wild, but yeah, I mean just yeah, just getting that download every week. Like, where is that happening? You know, well, he just you know he has Aaron Rodgers, like you said, which I do think brought him into a different kind of cultural universe. And even this week, he got Vince McMahon for an That's hour right. and a half. Vince McMahon has not done an interview in ages like that. And so, you know, the, in the sort of the attention economy that we live in, and I think you would agree with me on this, Brian, you only need a couple of those to establish yourself as a, as a place, you know, one or two will do it for you. (laughs) Yeah. And he's got a bunch. It's, it's really, really wild. He's got a bunch. Yeah. I, I, uh, I do remember it. In fact, I remember in Dallas, uh, going through Radio Rose a while ago and, uh, I remember being blown away at the size of Jim Rome's set. I mean, it was it might as well have been like a mansion in, uh, uh, you know, the fancy part of Dallas. And uh, um, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Um, all right. Last one for me. Uh, and this is sort of a, this is a selfish question for me because I'm this is very inside sort of sports media writing baseball here. But, you know, you've been able to forge a career not doing the day-to-day stuff. You know, you do sort of some of it on Twitter, uh, uh, to be fair, but you you have intentionally either by choice, it seems by choice, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems to me by choice, you sort of made a decision to um, to go a little bit broader, to, to be more profile or feature-oriented, to not necessarily get caught up in the day-to-day transactions of sports media. You know, I've tried to hybrid it myself to do a little bit of what you did to do a little bit of the transactions. It's kind of hard, honestly, to be in that hybrid space. There are others, obviously, who really own the transactions beat and and really like that stuff. Um, is that why, – why did why did you opt for that road, if I'm accurate in, in my assessment of your road? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think, first of all, you just have to have the blessing of your people who employ you to do that, which I've yeah. been lucky enough to have now at a couple of places uh, with the current people with Bill and with the current people I work with. So that's, I mean, that's probably like the most direct answer to your question. But, you know, I think just in terms of just trying to understand what your strengths are and trying to understand what is it, what is it that I really want to be doing? What are the stories I want to write? Now, you know, we're doing a podcast a couple of times a week and the podcast, as you point out earlier, is often about television news or about Ukraine and the way we're covering all these things. I think I interviewed Carl Bernstein a couple months ago. Like there's just a lot of that draws me away from doing what you would call the day to day kind of stuff or to kind of finding out those, you know, working on those kind of things. But I don't rule anything out. I guess I guess it's just more of a personal preference thing combined with, like I said, my uh, my bosses. Yeah, no, I appreciate that honesty. I, I mean, I'll be very candid. Like I'm a little burned out, probably not a little, on the day to day, and so I can, um, you know, I can understand where you're coming from. I mean, part of the part of the allure of coming to Toronto to work for um, an outlet up here was to to have a different kind of content play than um than just doing sports media because it really can just inundate you on a on a day-to-day basis so i i admire the path you've gone on and you are correct though ultimately at the ultimately you have to have an employer who values that and isn't you know telling you hey brian like you know i need to know who is going to be uh 
ESPN 2's third college football team. Uh, you know, get get me that train. I need to know what Brock Heward is doing this week, Brian. So like I uh check in with Brock I, after the I, podcast. I, yeah. So yeah, check in with what his off season's like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What is who do you guys have, who do you and Shoemaker have next on the press box? Are you can you give us uh a preview of what's uh, going there on. may be. I'll, I'll just tease this. There may be a wrestling related one coming up. A little bit of a little crossing. Well, obviously, the screens, WrestleMania is coming. You know, up. usually I let David handle that. But we may be. We may have something coming up closer to WrestleMania. I know McAfee is a no, hard get. Not him. The, I wish it's not him. Yeah, because that that'd be a nice get. But all right, I'll be uh, I'll be paying attention to that. Well, Brian, I enjoyed this man. It's it's uh, we've never done this before, so. Uh, so it was really good of you to do this. Brian Curtis is the Ringers editor at large, hosts the Press Box, co-hosts, I should say, with David Shoemaker. Uh, check him out uh, on those different outlets. Obviously, you can follow him on Twitter where he'll send his stuff out. And, um, you know, the Ringer obviously continues to put out great work. I read the Jonathan uh, – uh, um, how do I pronounce his name? Stark. Uh, Stark, yeah. That um, – man, that was a – it was a beautiful piece, but it was, it was, you know, if you have children, it was not easy to it read. So just we, uh, yeah, absolutely wish him nothing but the, but the best of, uh, but the best of health. Brian, thank you, man. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Check out Brian Curtis's work on the ringer and on the press box. Thanks Richard. Let's go check out what we missed on first take while we we're having this conversation. <laughs> All right. Back in the studio. My thanks to Brian Curtis. I really enjoyed that, man. That was, that was, that was terrific. Really it's good. It's good just to have a conversation with somebody who's really smart and and just has a really broad, interesting perspective on the business of sports media. It's not the business of sports media on on the sports media and some of the things around that. If you like these kind of conversations, please leave us a five star review and a nice note that uh, that has significant meaning for me. Obviously, uh, Cadence Thirteen is uh, judging me on many things, but certainly on reader response or fee or reader response view listener response. I got to pick my medium here correctly. Uh, prior to Brian Curtis, we did a roundtable, multiple roundtables on the state of Canadian sports media with six people who are working in Canada and just about what it is like to be a Canadian sports media person. Uh, I enjoyed that. And, uh, really smart people who came on that. Uh, prior to, before that, we did a, uh, a podcast on Troy Aikman's move to ESPN. Jimmy Traina was the guest on that. Before that, Mike Tirico of NBC Sports. Michelle Tafoya on uh, her next role following leaving NBC Sports. Uh, ESPN president of programming and original content, Burke Magnus. The challenges of covering a Super Bowl with Jim Trotter and Jane McManus. Head to the archives. There should be some stuff that you like. Uh, a lot of it remains evergreen, depending on when you listen. I want to thank everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. Thank you to Patrick Antonetti. As always, and most importantly, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.